Before we get to the show, we have a request. The media, as you knew it, is dead. Fox is dead. So don't turn it on and listen to it in the afternoon and during the evening hours till you go to bed, as most people used to do in the living room. Support free media. There's not many channels out there. There's the Epic Times, Gateway Pundit, a few others. But there's CDM. We are a growing global media conglomerate. We have websites and reporters all over the world, 12 at last count. The Colorado Free Press is coming on next week, and we're opening another paper in Montana after that. So the cavalry is coming, but we need your support. We have a no-ad subscription. It's 10 bucks a month. You don't see any ads. We know people don't like ads on their phones. They don't like pop-ups. Well, you can do something about it. So when you're sitting around the fire when you're older and your grandchild asks you, what did you do during the Great People's War, Papa? You can tell them, I helped CD Media and I helped Free Media save the Republic. So go to our channels, go to cdm.press, go to the Georgia Record, go to wherever you can find CD Media. We have a lot of websites and simply sign up for our no ad subscription. It's 10 bucks a month. It's not a lot. There's a discount for an annual subscription. So help us out, support free media, and do something. You know, there was 3% that did something during the American Revolution. Be the 3%. Help CD Media get our no-ad subscriptions. Thank you. Hi, everybody. I'm Christine Dolan, and this is our Globalist Conversation, Globalist in Plain Sight. Uh, this is our Sunday show, and today we have with us two gentlemen who are involved in the United in one of the United Airlines cases. They are the plaintiffs. They are a group of 28 plaintiffs suing the CEO, the corporation, the second-in-command who was taught a critical race theory seminar in 1994 at the University of Chicago by um, Barack Obama when he was a professor. They're suing the unions representing the pilots, the flight crews, the ground crews, and everybody else in between. They're going for the board of directors with United Airlines. And this is an international lawsuit, quite frankly, because United... Uh, has hubs all over the world. So, gentlemen, welcome to the show. We've got Tom Floyd, Jim Zitlow. Tom flew F-16s. He was with the U.S. Army, flew F-16s for the Air Force, retired as a lieutenant colonel. Jim is a colonel, uh, retired from the U.S. Uh, Air Force, and he gra graduated of uh, the Air Force Academy in the 1980s, class behind our colleague Todd Wood at the Air Force Academy then. So um, let's begin because you just amended your complaint in the case. I mean, this is going ahead. You're going to have a hearing later on this summer. And let's get into the weeds because you have expanded the, the understanding of the case in this new amended complaint. And I think you've done a very good job. Let's, let's start with, um, I guess, for those who are turning in right now, let, let's start with sort of the, the, the factual side of this. What happened? People applied for religious exemptions in uh, August of 2021 after some pressure to get people to get their uh, COVID vaccinations. They decided, Scott Kirby, the CEO, decided to make it mandated. You guys applied. Other people applied for religious exemptions. Some were granted. Some were not granted in technicality. Some people retired. Some people, um, you know, lost their benefits, the medical life insurance, even though that they accepted their religious exemptions. The head snapper to me was when people were not allowed, even if they received their religious exemptions, they were put on indefinite leave, no access to a paycheck, no access to medical in the middle of a global pandemic and no access to their 401k, which is reminiscent of what happened in Canada in earlier in 2022 when the truckers had their convoy. So you, have you guys have taken this on. Jim, let's start with you because 
you have a long history of understanding the process that happens in the military and you, you're not responsible for the EUA, but back in 2007, when you were with the military, you in fact were assigned to put together a group to come up with a pandemic preparedness plan for DOD when Secretary Gates was head of DOD. That's correct. So just a little history. Uh, in 2007, uh, we, I was at uh, U.S. Northern Command in Colorado Springs working with uh, a, a number of uh, global military planners to put, put together the original uh, Department of Defense global pandemic influenza plan based on guidance from the White House and, of course, uh, the Secretary of Defense. And this was to keep the military operating in a, a global pandemic arena. So uh, when we brought global planners together, it was about trying to build a plan uh, that allowed all kinds of, uh, of medical uh, precautions to be put in place. That included uh, antivirals, what we call early treatment protocols. And those in that era, we used uh, Tamiflu and other uh, other antiviral preventative medicines and uh, treatment medicines. And of course, you know, long-term there would be uh, vaccines developed through the normal uh, vaccination uh, development and FDA approval process. So we brought planners together to be able to keep the military operating, you know, to defend the United States. So that's really what it was about. We wanted to protect our people, uh, ideally, and of course, keep our uh, airplanes and, and missile systems and uh, ships and submarines operating. So that's generally what we did back in 2007, is we set the baseline for how pandemic planning should work and how we would keep the military operating across the globe during multiple waves of a pandemic. And there was some discussion, as I recollect, of, you know, there were no mandated masks, there were no mandated vaccinations, there were early treatments that people talked about. And you also didn't, you know, shut down the entire military. You, for those who were sick, you, you would, I don't want to use the word quarantine, but you certainly would keep them away from people who were not sick. Correct. Yeah, certainly it was about, yeah, we wanted to keep our, uh, you know, weapon systems operating and our, our, our units, uh, you know, healthy as possible. So, you know, if you were sick, you would be uh, treated and kept away from uh, those that were obviously healthy, uh, you know, but it, it wasn't like a severe month after month lockdowns. I mean, we were focused on, again, keep the military operating, uh, you know. Things have certainly occurred differently these, these last three years. I won't comment here, but certainly it was about, uh, you know, if you were sick, you know, you were, you were, uh, you know, treated and kept from uh, infecting others. So that's generally what I can talk about. And so because it is classified, we do, but we do know, uh, and we can't talk about everything, but we do know that in 2009 that your plan was implemented. Yes, and in 2009 and 2010, we had the H1N1 pandemic. We had planned for an H5N1 strain. That's not what actually occurred. An H1N1 uh, strain came through, and about there were about 60 million Americans that were uh, infected, and uh, there were uh, there were there were Tamiflu uh, antivirals provided, you know, as far as treatment, uh, and so that's basically. Uh, how things were handled in the 2009-2010 uh, timeframe that had been, you know, been planned for, you know, two to three years prior. All right. So let's let's jump to, and Tom, I want to bring you in on this conversation. Uh, let's jump to the fact that you guys pivoted to commercial uh, airlines, flying for United for a number of years. And for the, just to remind the audience, Jim, before we get to Tom, mm -hmm. how many years did you fly for, um, United and what, what plans? Uh, I was on the, uh, I was on the 727, 737 and 787. And again, uh, over 20 years, uh, on, uh, officially on the books, I, I probably flew for 12 or 13 of those. Cause I did have some furlough time in there. And Tom, what about you before we get into this? Hi, and thank you for having us, Christine. Um, I, I, got, I flew there for uh, just over 21 years. I flew the 737, 757, and 67, and flew the uh, 777 uh, in the time that I was there. Okay, so 
pivoting to that now you guys are working for commercial airlines <clears throat> and you've got the military background you've got the experience of doing plans and you're and you were at the tip of the spear jim when you did this you were the person that everybody chose because you had helped with some of the other natural disaster plans in the past um when this went down and they made the decision, Tom, what was your, what was, I guess, the pivotal moment, the epiphany when you said, boy, this is really wrong? Well, that's, uh, that's interesting. You know, the, uh, I guess you look at all the different things that were going on. Um, the, the, the lockdowns occurred starting in March of 2021 and then, um, 2020. 2020. That's correct. Yeah. Yes. And, and uh, the thing was, is they, they, they suddenly allowed some people to continue to work and then they started uh, locking down other people. They allowed some businesses to stay open. They required other businesses to be closed. And it was just so, so, uh, so, so, so disparate in the way they treated different people based on no understandable uh, differentiation. You know, how come Home Depot can stay open, but, uh, the the Ace Hardware in downtown has to close, or why is it liquor, liquor stores can stay open, but the car washes have to close? Exactly, crazy stuff. Like why is why is it okay for casinos and bars to stay open, but churches have to close? It was just not so. And so uh, I started I started digging in a little bit more more carefully, and um, I, I found that people who had historically gone on the record as saying they were in support of eugenics and uh, decreasing the human population on the planet uh, were, were highly supportive of this. And that, made, that really made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. And so I started digging into the, the, uh, the facts about what was going on with the vaccine and, and discovered that this vaccine utilized uh, uh, aborted human fetal tissue to develop and in some cases even to, to produce these uh, these so-called vaccines, these, these gene therapies, and that is uh, that that violates kind of uh, my belief of uh, that human life is sacred, and that there's no good reason for um, sacrificing children to come up with a with a solution. It's just there's just no there's no reason good enough to to do that. That's violative of my religious convictions and. That was that was pretty uh, open and shut case in my regard. In my in my case, I, I'm just not going to participate in this. This this is not this is not right. And Jim, you you've mentioned in the past that because this was such a 180 degree of the plan that you implemented and created for for, for the um, well, you created and then it was implemented. I should say uh, two years later by the for the military that this 180 degree was one of your epiphany moments. Absolutely. I, I, I couldn't believe, especially, you know, given a hundred years of public health, uh, you know, experience and policy, you know, going back to, you know, 1918 uh, Spanish flu, it, we made everybody read the book about the great influenza for our team. So we wouldn't repeat, you know, the, the uh, mistakes of the past. I just could not believe that we were there were no early treatment protocols approved. Every single antiviral medicine out there was suspect or shut down uh, by the FDA. And then it, there was only one treatment. It was to get these, uh, ex these experimental mRNA or other new technology uh, types, uh, you know, injected. And it was going to, that was going to take care of everything. I mean, we, when we did our planning, you use, you use multiple methods, uh, not only medical prevention, but other types of methods to protect your people. Uh, in the case of what happened these last three years, there was just one size fits all injection chosen and uh, directed and uh, attempted to be forced on not only our United employees, but uh, many, almost every American uh, and many Americans across the country were, uh, you know, forced to get this one size fits all solution. And that just uh, boggled my mind from a military planning perspective and knowing uh, a little bit about uh, public health from the last 100 years, it violated everything we had planned for previously. Well, 
can I add something on there? Sure. You know what they what they and it was it was interesting because they were replacing drugs that had existed and been tested and approved by the FDA for well, like the most recent ivermectin for uh, for for over eight years. It's been one of the most uh, uh, widely uh, prescribed and effective uh, antiviral medicines on the on the market. Yet they completely shut that down. Hydroxychloroquine's been used in in uh, around the world in millions and millions of uh, different uh, prescriptions. Uh, other things that that could have been helpful, they were shutting down and not using FDA approved medicines, saying they're awful. We can't use that, and they were demanding that we use an experimental one, one that's not tested, not not true, and and uh, that was. Like Jim said, it's just absolutely mind-boggling. Well, they they also, I mean, people have to understand, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine are uh, under the WHO, which I don't give any credence to right now, but let's just talk about, you know, pre-COVID, they were, they were considered essential medicine. Yeah. Yeah. They were so effective. And then to take them off the shelves, if you read Bobby Kennedy's book, he goes into the fact that it wasn't just that they were telling people not to do it. They were literally removing it ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine from the market, stockpiling it so people could not get it. And in some cases they were unsuccessful. So sometimes you were able to get it, but they even you know, intimidated the pharmaceutical companies that changed the CVS's, um, you know, places like that. So it became impossible. But let's get into the internal side of United because you're suing United and I don't wanna put words in your mouth, but you're suing United because they were naughty. Okay, and they breached and they violated the law. So your 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 case right now is alleging breach of what? Title Seven EUA. Let's break it down. Who wants to go first and, and take? I guess we start with the EUA. Jim, oh. you want to take that or Tom? I, I don't care. Jim, we can. Why don't we just tag team on this? Uh, um, right from the start, we we had alleged that uh, the United Airlines was breaking the rules when it came to how a religious exemption is supposed to be handled. Uh, mm-hmm. Title VII under the uh, Civil Rights Act of 1964 pretty clearly enumerates exactly how things are supposed to be done. Um, th- th- that, that act actually protects um, anyone who's religious, including people who are atheists, who basically say they have no religion, they are protected under the same uh, the same law. Um, the employers are not allowed to do any sort of sort of uh, validating whether or not a religion is 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 uh, approved or valid enough, or if you believe it well enough. If you the the uh, what United did is they they sent you know you can request a religious exemption to take participating in this mandatory vaccine. Uh, program, so you could request a religious or a medical exemption. But as soon as people were turning in their religious exemptions uh, requests, United was following up with, "Well, we need a letter from your pastor telling, uh, affirming that you're as religious as you say you are, or we need someone else in your who who you've known for a while to t- to send us a letter to validate what you're telling." Basically, they were saying, "We don't believe you. We think you're lying to us." We're not going to give you a religious exemption until you prove to us that you're not lying, which is, which is uh, pretty clearly prohibited in in the uh, in the U.S. code. Not only that, but you have, you you have the evidence of what the CEO Scott Kirby said to the pilots. I mean, in the in the tape, and it's all over the internet. It might be removed, you know, by now. But he, in fact, said, and I've seen the copy of it. That if you're a and he was talking directly to the pilots, if you're a pilot and you have found your religion, you better be, you know, you've just found your religion. You better be careful because you could lose your job. I mean, that's that's a direct threat. Yeah, that was uh, that was a and snarky too. It was snarky. And, well, it was, it was, and, and, and let's just let's just be honest. He's also a graduate of the Air Force Academy, so I mean, it, it, it you know he knows about religious exemptions in the military. Well, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't, but it, it certainly was a a uh, a threat. Mm-hmm. If you do this, you could you could lose your job. Basically, if then, right? Mm-hmm. 
it was definitely a threat. He was mocking anyone who might have religious convictions. You know, don't don't think you're going to all of a sudden be all religious. I think those were some of his words. Uh, very mockingly, very condescending, and uh, it was a it was an it was an unveiled threat. What I found to be so unusual about this case is that these were mandated COVID vaccinations, which they were not. And by August of 2021, when Kirby made this, or the company made this mandated policy, um, he didn't make it for everybody that was an employee of United Overseas. And he didn't make it a mandated mask for every passenger or a mandated vaccination for every passenger that was on a United plane. This was for the domestic US-based across the board, the crews, the, the, the pilots, the ground crews. So it was, it was a flight and the ground crews and the pilots. Yeah, Jim, you wanna talk about those inconsistencies? Yeah, and it's just, it was really ironic because it was just US-based United Airlines employees and it did not include, you know, um, say other, other airline pilots from other airlines jump seating with our United Airlines pilots on our own United equipment. It didn't include all the passengers from, like you said, all the different places. It just strictly was focused on US-based only United Airlines employees. And of course, we're, uh, we operate worldwide, so we're, we're interacting with others from everywhere else. And certainly other airlines are interacting with us and other passengers uh, are interacting uh, with us. And, and it just didn't make sense that it was strictly focused on our small population of U.S.-based employees. I, I'm just flabbergasted. That was going to take care of protecting everyone when everyone else is interacting with each other from other locations and other companies and and across the globe it just didn't make any sense uh, to just be specific for a certain segment of our united airlines population well and, and, and the, dichotomy, and the dichotomy of this whole thing is, is what is so unusual because consistently kirby was out there publicly pushing that it was safe the reason why they were doing this was safety 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 and yet they didn't make it a uniform, consistent policy within the use of United planes. They didn't make it a uniform policy within United, you know, that included foreign citizens who work for United. And not having a uniform policy is not a definition of safety. To be, I mean, just, just as a... A model. Let's just leave COVID out of it. If, you, if you're talking about safety, it should be uniform. So well, he yeah, breaks his own logic. That's a that's a good point, and and we brought that up in our complaint. Um, you know, every employee at United Airlines can worked and worked through the through the whole pandemic. So we had already been flying and working and being around the public for 18 months before the vaccine was mandated. So, um, you know, there, the, the cow's already out of the barn at that point. There's no sense in closing it up. That, that It just didn't make any sense. It didn't make anything, any, anything safer. And then at the end of the day, if it was so unsafe for us employees that we absolutely could not continue to operate the way we had for the last 18 months, then they should have stopped flying. If it was unsafe, that's one of their core tenets at, at United is safety. Mm -hmm. But it really didn't appear to be about safety. It appeared about more of a marketing plan, trying them to uh, to tell everybody how safe we are. But if it was truly unsafe, they should have stopped flying altogether until it was safe again to fly. That was not what they did. Well, there are also other public statements that, that Kirby made. Kirby went out there and said something to the effect, and I'm paraphrasing, that you know the federal government may not be able to do these mandated vaccinations and it was in the courts at that point in time because they went after the federal employees and there was you know that was swaggering through the courts but and in the end they won that but at this at the same time he was saying well you know since the federal government can't mandate it across the board for everybody in america with the corporations and the ceos ought to take the lead and then he boasted about the fact that he had called a number of, I think it was over a hundred CEOs allegedly 
to to encourage them, not just within the industry, but outside the industry to get on board with everything that he was doing at United? Um, I don't necessarily think that it began with him. I think that probably he was encouraged by by his bosses in the U.S. government to uh, to do that sort of thing. And I'm not sure, there's no way we can probably prove that uh, short of discovery, which we're excited about hopefully getting into quick, uh, very soon. But which, um, which, which brings up the state actor uh, yep. allegation you guys have made. Let's address that because you, you, you basically have said that, that United acted as a state, state actor uh, with the government to push these mandates. Which one of you wants to jump in and explain that to the public? Go ahead, Jim. Yeah, so essentially uh, United Airlines had uh, a lot of activities from the CEO, Scott Kirby, and uh, senior uh, executives at United working closely in uh, coordination with uh, the uh, U.S. government uh, through the White House. There were close uh, close meetings that were uh, that uh, occurred between Scott Kirby and uh, the White House. And of course, there were um, other uh, senior officials, even in the Washington, D.C. area, that were closely collaborating with uh, you, you know, the term of art could be collusion, which we call state actorhood, where uh, United was acting uh, in uh, close coordination or collusion with uh, the U.S. government to implement uh, these uh, vaccine mandates. In fact, Scott Kirby made a statement, I believe, on The Atlantic, where he said, in particular, President Biden had said he had limited authority and that uh, he was pressing uh, the uh, the corporations across America and United in particular uh, to try to implement uh, a vaccine mandate. And of course, that was uh, worked in close collaboration uh, between Scott Kirby and uh, and uh, the White House. So that's what uh, state actorship generally is, is uh, is uh, is is uh, being almost an association, a very close legal association uh, between uh, the, the government and a corporate entity. And that's that's what uh, when people need to know correlating to that is when we talk about the censorship and big tech censoring people who disagree with Fauci's narrative about COVID or the COVID shots. Uh, we, we know that Scott Gottlieb from Pfizer, who used to be at FDA, who's on the board of Pfizer, picked up the phone and you know went out to a lobbyist at one of the big techs to get somebody's account shut down. And there's numerous examples of that all over the place. I mean, CISIS is out of control. And you just take a look at their advisory board from Microsoft to uh, to Twitter and, and other entities. Well, there's a there, there, there's a lot of evidence that, 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 that supports our claim that United was a, a state actor. Um, you know, and, and, and early in the pandemic, uh, United Airlines was uh, was given uh, I think through the CARES Act, CARES One Act, uh, 4.5 billion dollars in in a grant from the government, um, from American taxpayers to help help this, um, and then later they were given a 1.5 billion dollar loan, plus the U.S. government, the Treasury Department bought I think 4.6 million common stock shares in United Airlines. Um, it was very clear at that point that United Airlines, as a private entity, as a as a as a as a private company, not a state actor company, ceased to exist. From that point forward, it was uh, United Airlines being run by, um, well, maybe enthusiastically or maybe uh, maybe reluctantly being run by the U.S. government and state. And it's pretty clear that through their actions, that United Airlines was doing the bidding of the United States government through the administration, that which do, doing things to the American people that were clearly unable to be passed because they were illegal through normal channels to the U.S. government. So um, let's, talk about, let's talk about possibly some, some ultimate quid pro quos. Uh, we know that Scott Kirby during the course of this, when um, President Macron from France uh, was the guest of honor at a state dinner at the White House that Kirby was invited. 
not every CEO in America was invited. We know that Kirby was mentioned, uh, or United was mentioned. I, I can't remember if it was Kirby's name was mentioned by President Biden during some type of press con conference in terms of praising United and possibly Kirby's leadership. We know that uh, they had several contracts. They had the contract for figuring out clean air on airlines. So they were testing that for the U.S. government. We know that they were flying refugees here in the United States around. We know that some of the people that were in Afghan, wasn't there a United con airlift out of uh, Kabul? Uh, yes, I believe that's correct. Uh, you know, and... and and then, when, then when the milk crisis happened, the baby formula crisis happened, the United yeah. was involved with that. So, I mean, you know, they've been, and it's not that airlines don't have these type of contracts, but when you th thread it and weave it all together, you know, it's not hard to think, okay, you want to be part of the team, you're throwing it all in at the expense of your employees, risk to their health, violating their religious freedoms uh and at the same time saying this is for safety safety with a you know a policy internally at a, at a corporation that's not even uniform for all the employees because you're neglecting to demand it of people who work on foreign posts for united airlines well you know i mean it's, when you think about it who comes up with a policy like this at a time like this and things that wouldn't end up in a lawsuit. I, I don't know if it was a marketing scheme that has clearly gone bad or if it was or was more uh, nefarious that they were uh, some sort of a diabolical plan. Um, that may never come to, to, to the light, but um, it was interesting that, uh, that the, you know, the, the president of the United States, whoever he may be is, Maybe he gets briefed on different companies doing this uh, on occasion, but um, it was pretty clear that the Biden administration was clearly being fed information about United Airlines. I mean, they on a number of occasions, different people in the Indian administration made comments, including President Biden himself, that uh, everybody ought to do what United is doing. They went from fifty nine percent to ninety nine percent in two months' time. It's a quote and. And though they may claim that they were not state actors, there's just too many coincidences where, you know, United, President Biden wasn't talking about Seize Candies or, or Walgreens or, or, uh, or John Deere Tractor. He was talking about CEO Scott Kirby, his friend, and his state actor, how they were doing it. And there's just too many coincidences. Like you talked about the different contracts, the uh, the quid quid pro quo, um, it, it, I mean he's been a, he's been appointed to a, you know position on the administration. His his second in command has also been uh, given a pretty lucrative position within the administration. You know that that didn't happen at uh, at at you know Nissan USA. It didn't happen at these other companies around the company. It was it was very clear that United Airlines was getting special attention from the U.S. government. And why? And also the number two, I forget his name. Brett, is it? Brett Hart. Hart. Say that again. Uh, Mr. Brett Hart. Yes. And in 19, I think it's 1994, he was a student at the University of Chicago, uh, University of Chicago. And he took a seminar and it was about CRT. And his professor was critical race theory. And his professor was Barack Obama. Interesting. Exactly. And, and I want to add, Christine, real quick, uh, you know, United Airlines uh, mandated the vaccine on August 6, 2021, about just over 30 days ahead of the White House, which uh, President Biden announced on September 9th, 2021. Now, some could argue, well, that was leaning forward, but was there knowledge ahead of time uh, that there was going to be a uh, White House announcement. Uh, it's just interesting timing that United Airlines was well ahead of the U.S. government on mandating 100% uh, of their U.S.-based employees to get this jab ahead of the White House. Hmm. Well, yeah, it's, also, it's also the month of disastrous pullout in Afghanistan. 
Well, it's very interesting that uh, while, while Jim said they were ahead of the government, were they really or were they just uh, pretending to be ahead of it? Uh, that will be also something that would be very interesting to find out when we get into discovery. What what uh, the CEO knew, when he knew it, who he knew it from, uh, if it came from the government, things like that. That would be lovely to, to see in discovery. And how many how many meetings did uh, Scott Kirby have with Ron Klain or Susan Rice or the COVID task force? Yep. At that point in time, how many times he actually visited with the White House uh, staff or met with people at the um, executive office building? In the all, all good questions. Yep. Mm -hmm. And also, I don't know, but I th I've thought of this, you know, during this interview. I wonder what airlines do does the U.S. government push for their employees to use when they travel? Ah, that's good. That's another good You know, point. when I worked at the networks, we, you know, we would always have some special relationship with a uh, carrier, uh, just whether it was discount because of the volume of, of people flying all over the place. So if you, if you keep it to one or two, because not everybody flies to the same places, but one or two for domestic or one or two for, you know, international, it, it was always a cut rate. So I, I wonder if United is part of a package for the U.S. State Department or the U.S. You know, Department of Interior. You know, the, the government uses a, uh, a, a, a travel service. I think it's called Sato. Maybe that's changed by now, Jim. It's been a while, but they did use uh, that. Yes. And so, um, uh, I would be uh, I would be curious to to find out whether or not United did get preferential treatment at that time, and I think probably American and Delta and Southwest all might take exception with the re revelation that possibly they were being backburnered while uh, United was getting a better better travel uh, utilization. And that's Maybe. something we should look into. I mean, that's a speculative yeah. thought that I had. But the, the reason why it would be important is because Southwest American um, did not have these draconian mandates to the extent that Scott Kirby and his group pushed on the United employees. So there's that's, a definite difference between what United did and what the other airlines did. That is true. So that's just something else. All right, so let's talk about the domino effect because for those who did get their religious exemption, some people said, okay, I don't like that. You found out afterwards, if you received your religious exemption at United, that you were gonna be put on indefinite, unpaid leave, no paycheck, no medical, which is ironic. Again, that's another piece of this pie that makes it the, the inconsistency, the illogic of this policy. Kirby wants you, to take the shot be, and, 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 get, and before the mandates in August of 2021, he pushed some of the employees to get the shots by offering them a, a day or two off of vacation, a day off, you know, flying, uh, money, et cetera. That didn't work. Then they made it mandated a couple months later in August of 2021. Um, and for those who did go back to work, it's not everybody did. When they went back to work, Kirby said, okay, fine, come back March, 2023. They went back and they created from what everybody has told me on camera for those who went back, a domino effect of discrimination, religious harassment, um, singling people out who did go back to work, who did not get the shots. There was a lot of bullying, corporate bullying by other employees public list of people who did not get their vaccinations. So it, your lawsuit does cover some of this hostile working environment in so many words, does it not? Yeah, you know, we uh, if, if we go back all the way till uh, May timeframe of 2021, the company started uh, offering incentives for the employees to, to start taking, like you mentioned, the days off or or maybe money or an additional vacation day added to your to your uh, to your allotment. Um, these sorts of things actually were pretty effective. A lot of people were like, "Oh, I can get some money and uh, just take the shot." Um, at that time, remember, there were a lot of people still very very afraid. The the the, the government, um, through the use of the different media platforms, were 
and propagated and and uh, by by people like Scott Kirby, were basically telling them if you get COVID, you're going to die. And it was very clear early on that that was not true, but that was the lie. That was what was being told. Um, so when the when the vaccine actually became mandatory, uh, a lot of people were put on unpaid leave of absence. I can't remember the exact number, but I think probably on the order of close to 3,000, maybe more people were on unpaid leave of absence. And you mentioned this, that uh, this the CEO that's so concerned about our safety made it made it clear that if you, you were not going to get paid, you're not going to be able to come to work, and we're going to take all of your benefits away. Including medical, including life insurance in the middle of a global pandemic when he says, take this because people are dropping. That, that is, that is, that is uh, beyond ironic. But to see the thing was that they didn't, they didn't care about the safety. They cared about the program. They were doing anything they could to increase the threat, to, to increase the pain level that it would surpass people's threshold of pain. And they would just go and get the shot and be, uh, be be coerced into doing this. And my heart goes out to uh, thousands and thousands of United employees who did not want to get the shot, but did not have the ability or did not know about our group, did not know about pot potential lawsuits. Uh, they took the shot in duress in order to just keep their jobs. And many of them have had situations where they've had um, medical situations develop. Um, everything from heart attacks, strokes, you know, all of the different things that are being proven on VAERS in the VAERS system. And uh, by many, I think hundreds, like 1900 independent studies are being done now showing that uh, this vaccine has been more, has had more adverse effects than any correction, all of the other vaccines on record. And collectively in the last 30 years. Yeah. So, you know, so when, these... you mentioned, when you mentioned marketing, uh, Tom, I, I was remembering there. there's a tape out there, Jim, where Kirby was, he, he was bragging about the fact, I think, was it 98%, 99% of the people at United had received, had gotten the shots. Yeah. But what was not clear, <laughs> what about the people who are overseas who didn't because they weren't mandated? And what about, you know, guys like you who applied for religious exemption and were put on unpaid leave? So when he, it, you have to go back and figure out what day of the week, what month did he say that? And were so many people on unpaid leave and nobody knew about the, the foreign employees that he could actually say truthfully 98 percent because he just you guys weren't considered part of it. Yeah, because we we were. uh we, we were probably statistically moved removed from that database. In, in yeah, fact, in the right. span of about 10 days, Scott Kirby said, we're at 96. Now we're at 97. And then it went up to, like I said, almost 99%. And, you know, again, just boasting about those numbers. Meanwhile, you know, there was uh, this hostile environment of, you know, those were, were vaxxed and those that were unvaxxed. And it just uh, between... United leadership and supervisors creating this this huge uh, two tiered system of you know if you're unvaxxed you're putting everyone else at risk and it's uh, one of the most palpable uh, hostile environments that I've ever been in and I've been in the, the command center <laughs> at the NORAD and uh, that's and that's pretty busy I, I can't discuss the details so having been in that uh, crucible of uh, United Airlines during that uh, summer and fall of 2021, I can say just like a lot of the rest of us employees, we faced a tremendous hostile uh, negative uh, environment that was very difficult for all of us to navigate through, especially those of us that uh, were able to uh, stand up against this uh, mandated jab. Hey, and, 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 and Christine, remember, employers are required under the, uh, the, the Title VII, under, under the, the um, Civil Rights Act of 1964. They are required to to uh, to protect their employees from discrimination and from 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 retaliatory behavior and such. However, at United, it seemed that the company was actually fostering, creating the the 
toxic environment that we were we, that we were in. Um, they they were certainly not telling employees to not pick on each other. They were certainly not saying you don't need to be asking. They weren't. You know, you if you were to if you were to take any other group out there, and and say. I mean, just pick one, pick one. There, there's plenty out there. And you, and if you were to say, hey, you're one of them, but that was clearly, clearly, I mean, you, if you just said that about another group, you're one of them, huh? Or you'd have been standing on the carpet trying to explain why you shouldn't get, get fired. But it, with, with regard to this vaccine and the people who, who, went, who stayed out on medical or religious exemptions, it was open season. There, there are many stories of, uh, flight attendants or captains or people on the ramp, people in the, in the maintenance areas or, 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 or gate agents, ground uh, supervisors, where they were literally called names. So you're one of them. You need to stay in there. Don't get around me. You're, you're, you're awful. You're the reason that this, that, that everybody's sick. You're the reason grandma's dying. You have, you know, you're so selfish. All these things, United was not stopping. So that you know, is, I, 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 I thought of I thought of that, you know, that that, that whole aspect, um, having you know interviewed so many of the, you know, plaintiffs and 28 plaintiffs. And I think I've interviewed 20 of you um, just recently in the last couple of days because of the Supreme Court decisions that have come out, whether they, you know, having to do with the civil rights law. OK, the affirmative action, um, also the religious uh, you know, there's a number of cases that have come down in the last four or five days from from the uh, Supreme Court that have gotten some people in this country very upset because the court was obviously making more conservative decisions than some of the liberal and the woke people in this country wanted. But there was something that was on the side, and that was that Justice Roberts was reported that he was basically telling his 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 other justices and other people working in in the you know sanctity of of the Supreme Court to not snipe at each other, and I thought to myself that's that's an indication for for when corporations, it's not just the federal government, corporations don't set the leadership tone from the top, and they allow the sniping the harassment. The criticism to continue with other, with other employees, and 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 that's something that I just took note of. What about this Groff case? This is this is a man who is, and this just came down in in recent days. This is a man uh, who was a postal service. He uh, he felt that as a federal employee, he had the right to object to working on Sundays because Sundays was his day of was the Lord's day. And so he took it all the way to the Supreme Court. And they have now decided that, yes, he had the right. And some people say, well, why didn't he get another job? Well, he, he, he stood his ground. And he said, no, I have the right because of my religious beliefs not to, not to be forced to deliver mail and packages on Sundays. And he won at the highest court of the land. I think that I think the clear thing is is what what's what's occurred is that in the past an employer all they had to do is say well it could be a it could be an impact on our operation it could be a could be an increased cost but I think that the new verbiage basically says <clears throat> that the the employer must show that it is going to be a significant impact on operations now clearly that would not have been the case with United Airlines we had already been operating for 18 months into that situation and forcing a vaccine would not cause any change in the significance of the impact. So clearly that's going to fall flat and it's going to hope, hopefully that's going to work very, very powerfully in, in our favor. Uh, United would, has not been able to demonstrate how that would be a difference, whether we had taken a shot or not. So uh, this, this is a significant uh change in the way that particular uh, interpreted interpreted paragraph in Title VII has been looked at for many years. And it's a, it, I think it's, I think it's right. And let me add, uh, I believe the terms, and I'm not a lawyer, but are de minimis was the predecessor case. And now the new term uh, that this uh, court has said is undue hardship. So it's kind of brought, uh, you know, religious discrimination to the reality point of uh, you just can't uh, brush off 
uh, someone's uh, religious uh, uh, beliefs, and, and a, an employer now has a much higher bar to prove, uh, a much higher accommodation to take, uh, from what I understand from the ruling, and it's much more based in what's what works uh, practically in the work uh, workspace. So, uh, again, a, a great success. We're looking at this as well as the rest of the world, and we believe that this is going to just bolster our claim for religious discrimination in our lawsuit. You know, one other point, uh, the fact that you sued the, the uh, board of directors, I think is, is very pointed. And at the same time, uh, we know that one of your board of directors is also the head of the Aspen Institute and the former uh, uh, president of CNN News, one of my alma mater networks, Walter Isaacson. And he interviewed Scott Kirby at the Aspen Institute that he now runs, you know, about the United Airlines policy. But in their, when, you, when they filed their motion to dismiss, one of the things they did address in their motion to dismiss was that the board of directors was not responsible, which I thought was extraordinary admission because you guys are suing the board of directors. And, I'm, and I kept on thinking to myself, we're in a global pandemic. They're making they're execute they're making what unilateral decisions on the management level, and people and the board of directors are not weighing in on this. Well, this is See, that, it's almost inconceivable to me because that's not how the corporate world works. Okay, well, it seems to me that that's them trying to shirk a little bit of responsibility. Uh, it, you know, is it is it really just a a good old boys club? We all get together and pat each other on the rump and say, hey, good job, or are they actually trying to run a corporation? Um, it's very clear that <clears throat> these decisions, this this policy was either known by or presented to the board of directors for approval. And if they did nothing, that's no excuse. If they knew that it was- Walter Isaacson endorsed it the day he put right. Kirby on the air, on camera, at the Aspen Institute as a member of the board, former president of a network. He knows the power of that. Absolutely. And it's also he, he's head of the, I think when I looked at the uh, site, I think Walter, and I like Walter. I mean, I've known Walter, you know, for years. I mean, he's in the business. But Walter also is, is I think, when I looked at the, the last time I looked at the corporate leadership, he was head of the health subcommittee. So what, he didn't know anything about it, but, and they're not responsible, but he's interviewing Scott Kirby on Aspen Institute's website. Well, I've said it before. I mean, this know, is almost a joke. It is a joke. I've said it before, you know, they have the right, they have the responsibility, they have the duty and they do have the authority to call. Fiduciary responsibility is the term. To call, to, to call Scott Kirby on the carpet and say, what are you thinking? No, you can't do this. It's illegal. Well, and, also and, and, to make it consistent. I mean, let, let's be honest. I mean, you, you, the legal side of it is one thing, but if you're going to do a corporate shakeup like this, you have to make it consistent. Well, they, 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 they turn their head. They're trying to shirk that responsibility. They're trying to turn their head and say, I didn't know. Well, you know, in 1947, there was a bunch of trials in uh, a city in, in Germany where a lot of the defendants said things like, I was just following orders. Well, mm -hmm. that did not that did not alleviate or, or remove their responsibilities to obey laws that they knew that they were breaking. So uh, I think I think that that it's a uh, I think it's a pretty shallow sort of uh, attempt to get them uh, get get many at least 10 people off of that list of defendants and all right can we can we get into that uh, eua discussion i think that's very important yeah we're running out a little bit of we're running uh we're close to closing out here jim but jump in and do that yeah so we, what we've added in this uh, amended complaint is just because like i said a number of a great team of uh, members went back and tried to connect the dots and uh and look at uh, all of the uh, issues and the development here. So uh, what we allege in, in the addition of the new amendment is that uh, United Airlines uh, violated uh, USC 21, Section 360 BBB, which discusses uh, uh, emergency use authorization of these injections. In the core law back uh, when this was developed, uh, and it's still on the books today, 
a person had an option to either accept or refuse administration of a product to know of their consequences and their, if there were any consequences of refusing administration of that product, they would need to know of alternatives to that product and that what, what, which ones were available, what their benefits are and what their risks are. So you, again, you had an option to accept or refuse and uh, we allege that United Airlines has violated this core law. And uh, this goes back to uh, the emergency use uh, issue. And then we can also discuss, uh, you know, were any of these uh, injections approved? And if you, you go back and you remember back in August of 2021, there was Pfizer, Moderna, and J, and J injections. Those were all authorized under the emergency use authorization. Uh, then there was uh, a um, biologic license applied for for Comirnaty, and Comirnaty was uh, actually FDA approved at the time. It was never ever produced in the United States of America. So at that time, there was a bait and switch where uh, you know there was an allegation that Pfizer was actually approved. It was never approved. Pfizer was only given a reauthorization of that injection under the emergency use authorized uh, law that I've just discussed. And so Comirnaty was the only one FDA approved at the time, but it was never produced. And so it was distributed uh, here in the United States. It was never produced or distributed in the United States. There was alleged to be some overseas, but again, uh, it goes back to this original concept of EUA authorized products. You have, uh, you have under U.S. law, the option to accept or refuse administration of that product. So, so basically, what you're saying is that the U.S. government violated its own its own law, and United piggybacked on it and violated the law for God knows what reasons. I think I think that the 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 government intentionally did this. It was certainly the wording was made very very confusing. There is a tremendous difference between authorized and approved. FDA right. approved. We all grew up knowing what that was. And and I and I assume that it remains the same. There is a very strict and well, there's, there's procedure. There's a there's a word licensure that, that also the well the the procedure the, the procedures that these companies have to go through to get something to the FDA approval stage is arduous and it's very very detailed. For an for for an authorization, this this emergency use authorization status that all of these so-called vaccines we're operating under do not it's not the same thing that is the, so they so they allow the uh, they authorize the use of these experimental drugs because they just don't think they have anything else however at the same time they're shooting down all the things jim talked about with the uh the the, the antivirals and the uh early treatments so it was it was certainly a bait and switch they changed the they changed the way the, the, the wording was. They, they say uh, it's, it's authorized, but it's reauthorized. And then finally, just this last March, they, they uh, said it's no longer authorized. And all of those supposedly drugs are now off the market. They're gone. Well, some, I mean, some countries they are. I mean, they have market. Jane Day's been taken off the market in some companies. I think the newest addition is yeah, our Moderna for kids under 12 is no longer it, um, mandated in Australia. That, that's a new one in the last couple of days. Guys, we're running out of time. Um, right. We've only got about three minutes here. What, what else do you want to add, Jim? Okay, I just I want to add, I know we'll probably need another hour to discuss this, but under the Code of Federal Regulation 215025, uh, there was an actual precedent set uh, using the anthrax vaccination for EUA and how they would be implemented. And they discuss consequences. And in the uh, law, it uh, in the regulation, it discusses consequences only being medical consequences. And so we need to probably another 30 minutes to discuss a Department of uh, Justice memo that was put out in the uh, July of 2021 timeframe that uh, basically interpreted uh, USC 21 and Code of Federal Regu Regulation 5025 and took the word consequences and created a new secondary uh, category called secondary consequences, which now included not just medical consequences under the law, 
but uh, anything conditions that FDA could imp implement to protect the public health, which included job loss, closing schools, and pretty much a lot of the things we saw that happened in the public. And that was a, probably the authorization to uh, a number of, uh, of organizations to go forward and mandate things by the DOJ claiming that uh, they interpreted the law a certain way. Again, it was a lawyer opinion. It's not been tested in court. Right. And uh, this is all this all goes back to violating USC 21, Section 360 BBB. We all have the uh, option to accept or refuse an emergency use authorized product. Okay, so let's do that next week, folks. Uh, we're going to bring Tom Remfer in for that one because he's up to, he's up to date on that. And yep. let's 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 continue this conversation next week. Uh, Sunday at the Globalist Show, so people understand United Airlines flies all over the world. How many hubs do they have? 29 hubs internationally? Is that right? Uh, I don't know how many hubs they have, but they 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 uh, they service what some 36 different countries. I, I don't I don't even know. Uh, all right, so so let's 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 bring Tom Remper back for that since he he lived through the anth he fought through the anthrax war and stuff like that, and we'll get into that specific part of your case because I think it's very interesting because basically everybody had the right to say no. That's and nobody correct. had the right to shove it down anybody's throat. They sure they certainly didn't tell us that though, did they? No, they didn't. They didn't. Yeah. It was safety, 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 you know, do it for grandma. So guys, thank you very much. Uh and we'll see you next week and um good luck on your suit. But well let's, let's bring time back for next week. Awesome. See you soon. Thank you. Thank you, Christine. Thank you. Thank you, Christine. It's always a pleasure to be with you here. And thank you all for watching. Hope you're getting smarter with these guys because they have made me smarter in that, since I've gotten to know them in the last seven months.